Right, thank you so much. So it's my privilege to, to introduce a very special friend who is one who loves and never lets go <laughs> and loves extravagantly. So um, this message has been on Marsha's heart for quite a little while and we heard about it and we thought this would be a gift to us. And so we said, would you be happy to come and, and speak to us and give, deliver this message? And so she said she would. So let's do a big round of applause. Yay! Thank you so much. Uh, during worship, you know the scripture that says, you have not because you ask not? Let's ask the Holy Spirit right now. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Will you join with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Because if he doesn't come, we've come for nothing. Okay. All right. Um, everybody got their kiss? Okay. Uh, don't eat it yet. If you, if you have, we'll give, it, give you another one. I wrote this a long time ago, and I just wanted to kind of break open with something besides a word, the heavy word, and it's called kisses. Has anyone ever thought about the, where the first kiss came from or how many kisses there are in the world? I thought it would be fun to list all the kisses I could come up with because as women, we love kisses. We love to be kissed and we love to give kisses. So let's have a go at it. At it. There's the first kiss and the last kiss. There's the kiss and tell kiss. There's the butterfly kiss, the forehead kiss, the hand kiss, the kiss on the lips, Kiss my foot, kiss my booty, and kiss my grits. <laughs> There's the innocent kiss, the passionate kiss, the kiss of healing, the boo-boo kiss, like the kiss on the finger, the elbow, the nose, the toes. There's the belly kisses, the kiss hello and the kiss goodbye. There is the grateful kiss, the tender kiss, the kiss on the cheek. There is the kiss you missed, and the kiss you'll never forget. And the kiss, oh yes, the kiss for money. There's the dog kisses, the wet kisses, the kiss-off kiss, the skim kiss, the French kiss, the half-hearted kiss, the phantom kiss, and the blow-me-a-kiss. The kiss given to a newborn baby. This kiss is tender, given with the greatest of care. There is the kiss given that says, I must now let you go. As one passes from this world into the next, I call this, I will see you again, kiss. There is the beauty of the God kisses, like this, the kiss of the morning sun that awakens us with his glorious light, and the kiss of the evening dew that refreshes and renews. Then there are two of the most prominent kisses that God felt worthy enough to write about them. The first one is found in the first book of the Bible of the Old Testament. It was his first kiss, 
given to man by God himself. He blew life. He kissed us with his spirit. You'll find this in Genesis 2-7. He kissed us with the breath of life. So the very first kiss was given out of love from our heavenly father to man. The second kiss shows up in the first book of the New Testament in Matthew 26. Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Arrest him. And Jesus says, do what you came for, friend. And Judas kissed him. Jesus said, friend, thou dost betray me with a kiss. So we find the second kiss being delivered by the enemy, the kiss of betrayal, the kiss of death. It is your choice on how you choose to kiss each other, with the kiss of life or with the kiss of death. I hope you choose life. I would love to leave you with a kiss, the kiss that never stops giving, the kiss that's never lost nor forgotten. I wish to kiss you with the blessings of a prayer. So, Father God, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time, and we thank you for every person that has come here today to be kissed by the sweetness of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, thank you. I praise you. I give glory for what's going to happen here today. In your precious name, I do pray. Amen. Okay, let's see here. All right. You can eat your kisses now. And every time, I want you to remember, if you see kisses in the store, if you get a kiss from somebody, remember this day. And remember that God is all about giving us kisses. So today we're going to go into the book of Ruth. And uh, I don't know... There's probably a lot of you that have read this book, and maybe some of you have never heard of this book. And there could be somebody here that didn't even know Ruth was a book in the Bible. So I'm hoping that through all of this, we are going to discover what the Lord's going to tell us today. It's a beautiful story of love. Who doesn't like some love in your life? There's only two books in the Bible that bear female names. Both are found in the Old Testament. One is Esther and the other is Ruth. We will join and journey into the lives of Ruth. It is a compelling story that all of us here will be able to relate to. It unfolds family struggles, loss, heartbreak, adoption, moral character, faithfulness, flaws, redemption, last but far, far from the least, love. It's about living and dying and how we navigate through life. It's about the providence of God and how God shows himself faithful to accomplish his will and his purpose in our lives and the ones that live around us. We will find in Ruth, there's only four chapters, four short chapters, 85 verses in the whole book, three main characters, and one great promise of the lineage of a future king. 
you will soon come to see why this story is so important to our lives today. The story of Ruth will speak to everyone in this room if you will position your heart to listen. Will you join with me to ready your spirit, still your mind, and open your heart? So, Father, we just ask for that today. Still every mind in here. Open every heart and ready every spirit that to receive what you have written about Ruth in the Bible. So, Ruth as, as we go into Ruth, we hone in on Naomi. Naomi represents a type of Israel. Ruth represents the Gentile bride. Now, the Gentile bride, bride is anybody that's not an Israel, a Jewish person, okay? So that can be everybody in this room unless you're Jewish. And Boaz represents our kinsman redeemer, Christ. You will soon see how their story comes to impact and speak to us in our own story today. I promise you this. If you pay close attention, you will see yourself somewhere in the lines of this story. So let us start with the time this story is written. So we will go to the first verse in Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man, Elimelech, the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of the two sons were Malon, and Kilion. In the day when the judges ruled, it was a very dark time in history. It was a time of spiritual confusion, compromise, and apostasy. People did what was right in their own eyes. Does this sound familiar to any place that you might be living today? Famine speaks of blessings being removed. We need to pay, pay close attention to this, and we need to start praying for America because our blessings are being removed. Bethlehem means house of bread, yet there was no bread. Elimelech, Elimelech, whose name means God is my king, decides to move to a more fruitful nation. Unfortunately, his choice was Moab. The Moabites were longtime enemies and oppressors of Israel. As well, they were cursed by God. Nevertheless, at this time, peace reigned between these two nations. Moab was a pagan nation, descended from an incestuous relationship of Lot and his oldest daughter. They worshipped a pagan god and practiced child sacrifice. I would say not a very good place to raise a family, so might not want to go there. One might ask, Elimelech, what were you thinking? As I read, it says, went to dwell. 
And that Hebrew word is a temporary stay. So he wasn't planning on staying forever. But sometimes God uses our poor choices to bring about his plans. In doing so, he weaves the story of a young Moabite girl into the story of his son. On this journey, we will find not only does the husband of Naomi die, but the two sons who married Moabite women in the span of 10 years die as well, leaving three women widows, all with no heirs to continue their family line or to care for the welfare of these women. Three shattered hearts left utterly desolate by life's consequences. You see, to be a widow and childless in our world today means unimaginable anguish. In their world, it meant overwhelming vulnerability and great poverty, leaving them with little to no hope. Grief has a way of distorting our judgment, but our hope is always in God. Amen? Amen. Come on. Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. She heard the Lord had visited his people by returning blessings back to their land. And in that time, in that, it, they, their blessings were food. We take food so much for granted because we just go on to the grocery store and we get mad if there's no toilet paper. But they had to raise their own crops. So one thing we learn in this statement, Naomi was a listener. She heard about her homeland, and she just makes a decision. When tragedy hits our life, don't we want to go back to the safety of what we've known? I mean, I do. So a turn is taken. Who and what Naomi saw herself to be had greatly changed. Naomi's name means pleasant. After her losses, she said, the Lord's hand has turned against me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever made that statement or thought that statement? No longer call me Naomi, but call me Mara, which means bitter. We must be very careful in times of loss and grief that we don't lose sight, that we are not identified by our circumstances, and that the Lord has the final word in our lives. Even when our life circumstances change, it doesn't mean God's view or his plans have changed for us. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, come on. Y'all got to participate with me. The news is given to her daughter-in-laws. Ruth, whose name means friend. Orpha, whose name means fawn, a little fawn, or to turn. Naomi kisses them, shares her decision to return back to Bethlehem. So they embrace and they weep out loud. This is an example of loving greatly and grieving muchly. Grief in the Jewish culture is loud. 
they get together in a group, they well, they roll around. I mean, they do. They, but they, well, what grief is meant for is to get it out of us. But here in America, we're too reserved. We go hide our grief. Because you know why? A lot of us think grief and expressing, expressing our emotions is a weakness. God gave us grief for a purpose. All our feelings, all our emotions come from God. And they have a purpose in our life. So with little struggle, Orpha kisses her mother-in-law, takes her grief, her disappointment, and makes her turn and heads back to a pagan way. But Ruth, that's my girl Ruth now, she puts up a fight. She says, I may have lost a husband, but I will not lose you. Now, I don't know what y'all think of your mother-in-laws, but this chick says, I'm hanging with you. I'm not going back to the old pagan ways. I'm not returning back to child sacrifice. I'm hanging tight to you. So go with me, if you will. I'm going to read what Ruth says to her. I like this girl. Entreat me not to leave you. How, wouldn't you love somebody to say that to you when things are tough? Don't you even dare talk to me about leaving you or to turn back from following you. This is determination. This girl's got determination. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I'm going to stay there too. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This, remember what her name means, friend. Solomon in Proverbs 17, 17, wrote this. I love it. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. I have two boys. My oldest is Robert. My youngest is Christopher. One of the greatest compliments I ever heard was from my Robert, my oldest. And he said, Mom, If I ever need anybody to stand at my back, if I'm ever in a fight and I need somebody that I know that they're going to not desert me, it's my brother, Christopher. Now, that doesn't always happen in every family. But if you see friends, they'll love us through some good times. And I'm not even talking about a brother that's blood. I'm talking about a brother or a sister that says, I'm hanging with you. I'm going to fight till the last blow is taken. And how do we fight? We fight in prayer for one another. 
We fight through the word of God. We claim promises for each other, right? So Proverbs 17, 17, might want to write that down. In essence, Ruth is saying, you're my family. I will not turn away from you. Ruth, you see, exudes loyalty and determination. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to walk this walk, you need to learn to be loyal to the Lord and determined. So off they go. Naomi is a much different person than the one who left. Her declaration to the women of Bethlehem, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Sometimes God's got to empty us out so we can be filled with his plans for our life and not our own. Can I get amen? Thank you. Amen. God brought these two back at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is known as the harvest of the first fruits. What does this mean? God's timing is perfect. The time is right for the harvest. There is bread if you're willing to work for it. Remember what Bethlehem means, house of bread. It was the birthplace of Christ who becomes a bread of life we eat each time we take communion. I didn't even know they were going to have communion today. And it is the word of God that is written in the book that we call the Bible that produces fresh bread, that feeds our spiritual hunger if you are willing to work for it. It don't jump out of here and land on us. We got to get in it and dig it out. But God promises fresh bread anointing if you're willing to work for it. First Corinthians 15, 23 tells us that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. Through faith in him, he secures our resurrection as his first fruits. Now, I should have an amen there. All right, all right. So Ruth was not only loyal to Naomi, but she was also a woman who was willing to work the fields. She had listened and learned the customs and the ways of Naomi's God. Remember, she was raised in a pagan nation. So she learned everything she learned from a mom-in-law. Ruth was committed to follow the God of Israel and in her commitment to be used of God in any way he saw fit. She asked permission. Sometimes we got to ask permission instead of just stepping on out there to glean the fields. Now, I just want to tell you something. Gleaming the fields was the lowest job you could have. So she didn't go and say, don't you know I came from this nation over here and I used to be somebody. <laughs> no, she said, I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going, and I'm going to go to work. Ruth knew the teachings of Moses, instructing the landowners to leave the harvest, the harvester, to leave what the harvesters had missed. 
In doing so, the harvesters were only allowed to go through the field once. This was known as the law of gleaming. Maybe we should be leaving a little portion here and there behind for others to gleam as well. Jesus had a unique way of getting his point across. You can read about it in Matthew 25. Christ addresses in this parable the importance of doing for others. He says, as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my friends, you've done it unto me. What we do, Christ sees it all. We have to ask ourselves, do we share with those who are a little less fortunate than we? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know where you're at in the food chain, but there's always somebody that we can look and help that's a little less than where we're at. Throughout the Bible and in the book of Ruth and in our own story, we see the hand of God in every detail of life. As God would have it, Ruth meets Boaz in the field. Boaz in, in Ruth 2.5 Ruth asks, Whose young woman is this? And in Ruth 6, the young woman who has come back with Naomi from the country of Moab. You know what? Our reputation, we don't even know we have one. But it, it's out there. People will tell what we're doing. So I want to just go to, to Ruth 2, 12, and read a couple of verses here. The Lord repay your work and full reward to be given to you by God, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. This is what Boaz, after he's asking, who is this woman? Where does she come from? He says to her, may the Lord reward you and give you full. Sometimes we're dissatisfied with a little bit. But God's, in God's economy, it's full. <laughs> Yay. Under, on, under whose wings you have come for refuge. We got to also remember where we need to go when we're in trouble. Not to the street, right? Not to our neighbors. But we need to go to under the wings of the Almighty. Then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your hand uh, maidservant, though I am not like one of your Maid servants. Though I am not like one of your maid servants. Deuteronomy 6 4 talks about this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. See, God didn't see her, us, 
as different. But she saw herself there as being different. But God says, I bring unity, I unite, and I bring one unit. And that's why he gave his son, so he could buy that cross board. Okay? This is the heart of our God. And that's what we need to understand. He is a God that is loving and kind and gracious and good. Boaz, a type of redeemer, remember, is a goel. This is a Hebrew word, goel. A person who is the nearest relation charged with the duty of restoring a relative, one who is responsible for protecting the needs and the interests of, fa of a family member. His role may be to marry or to provide an heir to a widow, to redeem land, or a relative who has been sold into slavery. Were we sold into slavery? Every one of us, okay? and to avenge the killing of a relative. This is the Goel. This is our Redeemer. This person may be known as an avenger, a guardian, or a kinsman Redeemer. If you go back to Genesis 38, you'll find an example of this term. God gives clear instruction to the Redeemer. What man cannot redeem, God's grace can. Amen. Amen. That, that would have been a big amen right there. God gives us one true redeemer, one greater than Boaz, who has come into this world as our perfect redeemer to understand all our needs. And he came to meet them. He came to right all the wrongs of mankind by paying our ransom for sin with his own life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Unbeknownst to Ruth, whose field she found herself in, as God would have it, there's no mistakes in God, she found her way into the field that was her redeemer, Boaz. Ruth's reputation went out before her as stated by Boaz, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law. Just when we think nobody's listening, when we think nobody sees us, nobody understands, there's a God that knows it all and has the plan already in place. And oh, by the way, Boaz means swiftness or in him is strength. I don't know about you, but when I'm in trouble or in great need, swiftness and strength sounds pretty good to me. Hey, I didn't even have to say that. Yes, amen. Okay. So let's go to mamas for a minute. Here we find that Naomi just cannot help herself. She jumps right dead in the middle of a matchmaking plan. So let me read it to you. Okay, Ruth 3, 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, says to her, 
my daughter, shall I not seek security for you? You know, if, if mama said that today to their daughters, hey, I'm going to pick out a man for you, and you're, he's going to be security for you, you know what they would say? Get out of here. Get out of here. Okay, for you, that it may be well with you. Now, her heart's right. And remember, her son, she married her son. But, and this might be something for us mother-in-laws if I ever get to be one. Uh, I don't, well, y'all pray for my kids. Pray that they will find a woman that will love them the way I love them. Amen. Amen. So, now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, he is, is he not our nearest relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, wash yourself, <laughs> and anoint yourself. Put on your best garments and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he finishes eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall take notice of the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She tells Ruth to wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. You see, Ruth has been in a time of mourning. Remember, she had lost her husband. The time of mourning had passed. Now wash. Prepare yourself as a bride. Anoint yourself. Put on a new garment. Naomi was not preparing Ruth to be some loose woman of the night. She was preparing her to become a bride to the one that held the right to redeem her. This is a clear picture of repentance and salvation. Because when we wash ourselves, right? Father, please forgive me. We put on a new spirit. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Then we become the bride of Christ. Now you know why I love this story. So here's what happens. She sends Ruth off with a bit of instruction. Go to the threshing floor. Threshing is the process by which the grain husk or the chaff are loosened. It is done after the fields have been harvested and usually involves crushing the grain stalks on a flat surface or a threshing floor. Naomi knew that Boaz would be overseeing the process of crushing. You see, Christ is never closer to us than when we're being crushed. He said, a broken and a contrite spirit, I will not despise. You, you see, a good wine presser knows just how much pressure to apply to pop the seed out. When you're 
when you're thresh, I mean, uh, crushing grape seed, you have to be very careful not to smush the seed because that's what holds the bitterness. And I don't know who's a wine connoisseur here, but you don't want bitter wine. In crushing the husk, his thoughts are to keep the grain or the goody from being compromised. So Boaz, Christ Jesus, knows just how much pressure to put on each one of us. Then the stalks are thrown straight up into the air, separating the grain from the tough outer covering. The world makes us tough. Christ takes that away from us. Using the wind as a helper in this process. Using the wind. What does the wind speak of? Holy Spirit, yes. Ever felt that, that you were under the weight of being crushed or stepped on? That your life was just got picked up and thrown straight up in the air? These are signs that the Redeemer is at work in your life. This is a picture of walking out life, being led by the Holy Spirit. Let me go to Ezekiel 36, 6, and just read you one sweet little line. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of, of flesh. See, that's God's purpose in our life. Nobody likes to be crushed. But life makes us hard-hearted. But God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Our Redeemer is always at work in the lives, in our lives, sending Ruth off with instruction. Go, my daughter. Wait till he lies down. Let him sleep. Go to his feet. Uncover them. Maybe Naomi knew that when a man's feet gets, got cold that he would wake. And so he did. Boaz asked, who are you? What are you doing down there? <laughs> Smelling my feet. I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me as you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, this chick was on the fast road to understanding the principles of God. Ruth made a plea of marriage under the obligation of a redeemer. Listen to what David wrote in, in Psalms 36, 7. How precious, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. She was asking Boaz to let her take refuge under the hem of his garment. That's why she was down at his feet. You see, the hem speaks of authority. 
Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She touched the hem of his garment. And remember what he said? Who touched me? It wasn't that healing left. It was that somebody knew the authority of who he was. And she touched that. And we have that ability today to find the hem of Christ's garment and understand that he and he alone has the authority if we'll just believe. Boaz explains to Ruth the process that must take place. Remember what Boaz means, swiftness. Boaz sends her back with a gift of six ephras of grain. That measures between 30 to 50 pounds in our standard today. Now, I don't really know what Ruth looked like, but don't haul me back to town with 50 pounds of grain. I won't make it. But obviously, she was in pretty good shape. So th this was to give to Naomi as an offering of his in uh, intentions. Murph is my husband sitting over there. His mama taught him, and he taught me, never arrive with your hands by your side. So maybe Murph's mom knew the teaching of Ruth as well. So go with me to Ruth uh, 3.17. I'm just going to read this to you. And she said, These six ephraim of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded this matter today. On the sixth day, God made mankind. Boaz was a foretelling of the lineage of Christ. On the sixth day, the first Adam was created. And on the sixth day, the lineage of Christ, the second Adam, was created. God would not rest until this matter was settled. God rested on the seventh day. Everything, sin came into the world and sin was conquered on the sixth day. God would not have rested. You see, Christ wasn't plan B. It says before the foundations were laid, the lamb was slain. God took care of every detail before he rested. And he's already done that in your lives today. All business was done at the town gate. Boaz knew there was a relative who was closer to Naomi than himself. As time would have it, this relative came along. Boaz asked him to sit as well. His invitation was extended to ten of the town elders. Business began, but this relative was really not interested in putting he or his own inheritance in jeopardy, in so declining the obligation. The idea of endangering his own estate might have been in question. 
the very opposite picture of Christ, our true redeemer, who was not concerned about himself, pays the ultimate price, gave his life to make us a part of his family. You see, paperwork at that time was the exchange of a sandal. Boaz received the sandal of the one who refused his obligation. We know little of this man. His name is not given. His reason for refusal, refusal unknown. But what we do know, he did not have the heart of a redeemer. As he left the meeting at the town gate, his walk was forever changed for all the town to see. You see, it's not easy walking on a dusty, dirty, rocky road, animal droppings, and the like, with only one sandal. Boaz takes his bride. A child is born. Naomi has a son. This is a true picture of adoption and redemption and a foreshadowing of our promised Redeemer. The last verses of this story tells us who our Redeemer is and the family that has been chosen in the line, the lineage of Christ. King David was the last one in in the lineage here from whom the line of the Messiah came from. He will be called Emmanuel, declaring the presence of God with his people in a way altogether new. I want to share Hebrews 12, 2 with you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God, You see, he was born a man just like us, gave himself as a sacrifice, was hung on a cross as king of the Jews, fulfilling the atonement for our sins as a priest. He applied his sacrificial blood to the mercy seat, sat down at the right hand of God as a son. As a brother, he continues to this day make an intercession for our needs. He truly is our guardian redeemer. You see why this story means so much to me? I find myself in every person in this story. And I promised you, you would find yourself as well. So here's some questions. Are you the one hanging on to a dream that long died? Naomi leaving pleasant, returning bitter. Orpha turning back to the emptiness of life and to an idle God. Ruth willing to abandon all familiar to be loyal to a God and to a people shortly known. Boaz, a person who intervenes for another. Don't we all want to be a Boaz? Or could you be, maybe, just maybe, the one who finds yourself in need of a redeemer. Everybody here is somewhere in this lineup. Galatians 4 tells us 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Papa, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir of God through Christ. This is my last question, and we're going to end. Do you find yourself a son to God or a slave to the law of this broken world? And if you cannot say that you are a son, please don't leave here today without letting somebody here pray for you to receive Christ into your heart. Thank you. And we've been listening to an incredibly clear and profound message. So I want to go back to the questions. And so just in this moment, as you have received the bread and the wine for you personally, that I'm going to ask these questions one more time. And these are Marsha's questions, but they're the Lord's questions to you because we were saying this morning that he stands at the door and knocks and we are the ones who open the door. And we were saying maybe there's a room that hasn't been opened yet, a door that hasn't been opened yet. So here's one of the questions. Is this one of the questions and one of the rooms that has a door that's still closed to him to bring his redemption? Are you the one hanging onto a dream that has long died? So is that a door that, that you have closed because it's too painful to open? And if so, just put your hand on your heart and say, Lord, I, I choose to open this door today with the help of those around me, but with you, Holy Spirit. Because the reason I have it closed is because I'm too scared to open it. Or, and so we, we want to ask. We want to say, we want to give you that yes right now. Are you one who felt like you had pleasant things, but now you're returning to something? You're returning because life has become bitter. And so is there a thread of, of bitter that has crept in because of, of, of the loss, loss of what you had? Is there bitterness? And so, Father, that, that might be a door that needs to be opened. And so, Jesus, we ask with your strength that you would set us free to be able to do that. Are you, Orpah, turning back to the emptiness of life and to an idol God? Do you feel the tug of the world that is more, um, more louder than shouting louder? Or are you one who is just aware that that might be another door that you need to open so that you don't go in that direction. Are you, Ruth, willing to abandon all familiarity to be loyal to God and a people she had only known for a little while?
Are you Boaz who personally intervenes for another? So I'm just going to go through just the highlight again. But I feel like if you would like prayer for any one of those, it might just be that you've done a lot of work already in one area, but there's just a little strand left that you'd like to get really cleaned up. Or it's just part of the process because it is a process. So we want to make this an invitation to any of you here and we'll have some, some of our people will be here to pray with you. But you're hanging on to a dream that is no longer, that has died. Do you feel like there's some bitterness because of the loss? Do you feel like you're drawn to, to the ways that are of the world running in the different direction from, from the redemption path of Jesus? So, Father, we, we say yes to you because you are knocking on each of these doors and our hearts are a story and you have been telling and writing your story for many years and so we would like we would invite you to continue the story into places that have yet to have some more light shed on them and so it takes courage and it takes even just standing here with other people you're aware that other people are watching but actually we stand before the throne of God right now and this is what matters because I'm the one who will not have freedom if I, I will not have the fullness unless I say yes to this new, this other door that needs to be opened. So encourage, I'm just taking a step forward in one area that might just need me to take courage in. And I'm just going to have everyone close their eyes. And as we open the door, we will we will find an intimacy with him that is beyond what we could imagine and we are nourished by him. Put your hand up if you have a door that you want to open or open a little wider today. Am I the only one here? There's one, there's two, there's three. Okay, come and just welcome if you would want to come and stand on the on the river here, in the river here, and we will gather around and pray with you. Thank you for your courage. Anyone who's standing here, just have your eyes closed and we will gather around and pray for you. And after that, we will be gently dismissed so that these amazing people can receive um, the grace of what the Father wants to release, a river, a new river of life. Thank you for being here. and We'll see you on Wednesday if you're able to come.